I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnerGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 247 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we produce our podcasting files. In this week's Better Podcasting Download, we subscribe to Bias Podcast Awards. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we reminisce about our first podcasting microphones. Lauren, start the show now. I may be biased, but I think you're one of the best voiceover talents ever. Welcome to Better Podcasting. With a combined history of over a thousand episodes and starting as early as 2008, we are hobby podcasters through and through, just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Here are the hosts for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to episode 247 of Better Podcasting. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is the wonderful SP. I'm excited to be podcasting about podcasting tonight. It has been a day at work, and it has been a couple of really exciting days, weeks since we recorded our last Better Podcasting numbered episodes. There's been a couple of times where we've had to save our podcasts, and, and one was because of me. And Steven, <laughs> and mostly me. Which, if you want to find out all the details to that, you should come to our Better Podcasting Discord. That's betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. We would love to have you over there. And he is indeed referencing the Better Podcasting live chat, which you can find at betterpodcasting.com. That's the show that we do when we're not recording this show on the off weeks. You can go ahead and check that out. We talk about a bunch of podcast stuff, take listener questions, and answer them over there. We'd love to have you subscribe to that. And you know what? You got a bit of time to check that out because uh, we are taking the next week of that show off. Don't worry, it doesn't affect this show, not the Better Podcasting Prime show, but you can find out all of the details on that in the most recent episode of the Better Podcasting live chat over at betterpodcasting.com. SP, we got another full one this week, so let's go ahead and get into it now. Let's do it. So you've gone and published your first few episodes. Everything seems to be going well. You're finally finding your groove right from the prep process through to the promotion of each episode. It's really feeling like you're getting a hang on this podcast thing. But then, as you're in the middle of recording your next episode, bam, it hits you. That horrible, dreaded message that can stop a podcaster right in their tracks, literally out of storage space. Having a data management plan is a really important thing for podcasters to have. That's because podcasting involves storing data through every single part of the podcast process. Yes, we're talking about prep, recording, editing, publishing, and even promotion. You need to have a data management plan for your podcast. And today, we want to talk about data management for your podcast in the year 2021. 
and how you can decide what is the best data management plan for your different areas of your podcast endeavors. SP, why do I need a plan? Well, I would say let's begin by expanding on what we said just a moment ago, that the bottom line is that data is going to stack up very quickly for your podcast in all aspects. In the preparation stage, you will have to find somewhere to house all your material needed as you get ready for each episode. As you record, you'll need to make sure that you have an efficient system that works for you so you have ample space to record each podcast episode. Moving on into the editing process, you have to not only access to the data that you've recorded for that episode, but you need to have access to standard elements like intros, outros, bumpers, pre-recorded segments, etc. In the publishing process, you're going to have to make sure that you have enough room to be able to publish that episode. And even in the promotion uh, process, it requires data management, such as housing clips that you might want to use, artwork, et cetera, to promote your podcast. And I'm going to even add another step to this, Stephen. It's probably going to become more important the longer you podcast. And that's a little thing called archiving. So if your show gets to a certain point and you end the show, you need to think about what is going to be the status of your show and what the data management is going to be there. If you haven't properly planned your data management, not only might you find that you run out of space for a given task in the process of podcasting, but you might also find that you can't accomplish the task because you can't locate the required data to do that. But more than this, your data management process needs to be considered for the future of your show. You might feel like you have a ton of space available right now to keep all of your podcast data for all eternity. But the next thing you know, you'll be 100 episodes into your podcast, and that space that you once thought seemed endless now feels like a crowded garage, an endless cycle of children's toys being dumped in the garage there, then going out until you can no longer park your car in it or even find a tool to fix the toy that inevitably is going to end up back in that crowded garage before it gets sent out and the cycle just continues and continues and continues and you can't find anything. I, I digress. I digress. What we're saying is that if you don't have a data management plan ahead of time, you might run into these challenges sooner than if you had a plan up front. In the grand scheme of the digital age, storage has really never been so inexpensive and so abundant as it is today. However, in our general strife for smaller PCs, faster data access, mobility, shared work environments, and cloud computer local storage, it's actually taken a small step back in the last couple of years. For instance, those new MacBook M1 powered chip laptops they're amazing computer machines, but their storage amounts at reasonable prices are actually lower than you could purchase just two or three years ago. You end up with a 256 gigabyte SSD drive instead of like a one terabyte at uh, hard disk drive or HDD. So we recognize not everyone will have 20 terabytes capable storage podcast production machine as we both might actually have. As such, local storage might be the first place you need to start to look at when considering podcast data management. The first step in local data management, as in all of the areas of data management that we will discuss right now, is you need to decide what data you need to store and how long you will want to store it. 
Generally in audio podcasting, there are certain types of files that will, you will need to produce each episode you eventually publish. First, there's the preparation material, including the research and show notes. There's raw recordings, including backup recordings and any multi-track recordings you have of the episode. You're going to have produced files like an intro, outro, or a segue bump audio. You're going to have show art or graphics. You're going to have production files like your DAW project file. You're going to have lossless final file renders. You're going to have a final published render like in an MP3 file. You're going to have publication post drafts or at least what you have on your local machine. And this goes on and on. And if you decide to add a video component to your show, there are even more files you will need for production purposes. Recognize that these files tend to be exponentially larger than your audio files. You were talking about raw video recording or recordings. We're talking about video editing project files, bigger than audio editing project files. We're talking about visual production elements like swipes or segue play cards. We're talking about final renders. And at 4K, these will be gigabytes large, not hundreds of megabytes. We're talking gigabytes large. All told, these files can be several gigabytes just for an audio only production to dozens of gigabytes for a video production. You're going to need to ensure that you have the storage space available each time you start producing an episode. Then you'll have to multiply that in case you want to produce multiple episodes simultaneously, as in you're producing a season of episodes or you're just working ahead in advance of a vacation. And once you have published the episode, you'll need to account for long-term storage of the files. Which files are you planning on keeping and how big are they? Will you just keep the final published render or are you going to be a digital pack rat and keep all your files? Will you keep the files on your local drive or an external drive? How are you going to back up the data? There's a thing in data called 321 concept where you have three copies of the data, two copies locally, maybe one on a separate storage device like a USB external drive or a NAS, and then one file kept geographically separated like at your parents' house or a different state or a backed up online data service. However, this may need to be the most affordable for every hobby podcaster. So if you can only do two, we'd recommend one local and one on a reliable established cloud provider. For example, I use Backblaze. This is because in our opinion, it seems more likely that there could be an event that could make you lose both your local copies in the 321 concept versus an event that makes you lose both the local copy and the online copy at a reliable established provider like Backblaze. And we're not promoting Backblaze here. We're just using it as an example. A service like Backblaze makes it relatively affordable when you have huge amounts of data when you stack it up against physical storage. Plus, local data storage is another set of data that you have to manage. Now, once you figure out how much storage you're going to need, or at least initially, or at least how you plan to use the storage that you have available, you need to develop an organizational file structure. Now, in general, it's a good idea to think of your data in two parts. You have the active data that you're being worked and you have archive data in long-term storage. There's nothing stating that you have to have these two types of data separate, but for some people, it can help. At the very least, it will allow you to develop quick access to the data that you are actively working with. And in some cases, it'll help store the data in different drives on your laptop or on your PC to segregate the data and be able to long-term storage more data. One way to help organize your data is to keep a production folder quickly accessible on your desktop or through a quick access menu. Now, longer storage should probably include a file structure. 
such as a folder for each podcast you accomplish, and maybe a folder for any shows that you guest appear on as well. Basically, any show or any project that you're working on probably should stuff it in a different folder. Now, in each folder, you should keep a subfolder for each episode of the podcast that you are on, or maybe you guest host on various different podcasts. And for ease of search and access later, we would recommend naming convention in your files, such as the initials for your show, followed by three or four digits for your episode number. Like this would be BP247 or BP0247 if we anticipate going into a thousand episodes. You can also add dates and or episode titles for quick reference. But remember, the more text you place in the folder name, the busier it's going to look on the screen when you're searching for it. Now, that's okay if that's how you operate. Personally, I like dates in my file structure and my folder numbers, but not everybody does. But the point is to come up with a standard way to label the folders and stick with it to make everything uniform and easier to navigate and search in the future. That's why you're retaining the data after all. Another consideration is what format you want the data to be kept in. For example, WAV file versus FLAC. If you plan on reusing the data in the future, you might want to keep a lossless copy of the audio or video files, but those come at a caveat where they are generally larger in size. And even with the best intentions, you might not actually touch this data ever again. So it is a trade-off for you if you keep a larger lossless file versus a smaller compressed file in your archive. Also, you can consider using something like zipping or RAR to package the data into an archived format. If you are just keeping the data, quote, just in case, end quote, a compressed format will be fine. It's a little more work when you got to go get it, but it will reduce how much space you do need to have for that data. Although make sure you are keeping the data in a format you can uncompress sometime in the future. And we say this because over the years, there have been a variety of different compression formats that have come and gone, and it's been harder to find what you need to uncompress that data when you finally get it 10 years later. So just keep that in mind. Oh, and also watch out for the passwords, because if you're going to password an archive section, you want to make sure you have that password later. Once you have your data flowing right and neatly stored, you need to make sure to maintain it. Pick a routine time once a week or a month or maybe even once a year in order to maintain the data. There is no set time to do this. And just like vacuuming, cleaning your bathroom, checking your finances, painting your walls or weeding your garden, how often this happens will depend greatly on you and your situation. We would just caution you not to let this go on too long because cleaning up a mess after a long period of neglect, could take up a lot more of your valuable podcast time rather than staying on it. You should also search for duplicate files and delete what you don't need. Maybe there is a reason to keep two versions of the same file on your computer, but a lot of the time there isn't. And sometimes podcast files can get pretty large, so duplicates will eat up your storage space quickly. There's actually different utilities available for duplicate removal where it will search a folder of files and identify which ones are duplicates based off of a variety of criteria. And some of them are very technical, making sure that it is an identical file. So you can also use those to help remove the duplicate files. 
Another thing you might want to do is picking a file at random and opening it to make sure it's not corrupted. If your file is corrupt, now is the time to make sure your backup is working and hopefully retrieve an uncorrupted file. You might want to look into more files if you do come across one that is corrupt. And this is important to identify because your hardware could be going bad. And if it is going bad, that's probably going to lead to more corrupt data. I know, SP, you actually recently lost some hardware. Yeah, last year I lost a two terabyte personal storage drive. It didn't impact my podcasting at all, but overnight it was just gone. It was there when I went to bed, I was actively working and edit and I came in the morning, computer had been on all night and it was just gone. The problem was I had only partially backed up the data. I had a backup program that had stopped a couple of months before, so I lost the personal files that I had changed in the last couple of years. I tried to get the data restored and unfortunately it was just going to be too much. It was going to be like 2,600 bucks. And since I had all my long-term memories on there, the, the photos that had been taken, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I thought, you know, why go through that problem? And unfortunately this can happen at any time. My son actually ran into this problem just the last couple of weeks. I told him to start backing up his data. He didn't. And then his drive basically stopped being accessible on his computer. So he's regretting the fact of not taking my advice and backing up the data. However, you're going to back it up. Now I suggested Backblaze just because I knew that it would be easy for him, a cheap way to do it. But uh, he just decided not to do it. And honestly, uh, he's just started a new job lo- uh, watching his finances, that sort of thing. So I can understand that. But as a podcaster, you got to think of these things in terms of am I going to lose all my production data or not? So make sure you back up your data. Now, there is a lot to local data storage that we talked about. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. The data is the data that you will be directly interacting with as podcasters the most, on your local storage. So understanding the data and having a plan to deal with it can be the difference between recording and producing an episode or not in some cases. If you have any questions about the podcast data use on your PC or whatever device that you're using, please reach out to us or to the folks in our Discord server. We actually have several data professionals in our community that would love to help you out. But local data is not the only data you will be interacting with as you podcast. There are others, such as shared data or cloud data. And Stephen, why don't you kick off our discussion on shared data? When it comes to shared data management, you're entering a whole other beast. Personal data management is relatively simple in comparison. You look at the situation that you have, and you choose the path that feels works best for you. You get to be selfish in that aspect. Once you start to look at shared data, though, now you have to consider others. And let's be honest here, I'm not very good at considering others. The challenge with this, though, is that some people prefer one service over another. Sometimes it's because of personal experience with different services. For example, someone might find OneDrive works better than Google Drive for them. Other times, it could be a simply cost variable. For example, someone might use Google Drive because they already pay for Google Photo Storage, which you're paying for one and the same with that. In an ideal world, everyone involved with your shared data for your podcast would prefer to use the same service. But newsflash, we don't live in an ideal world. 
And this is where with shared data, sometimes things can start to get split. We would recommend as you look at shared data for your podcast, consider things from two mindsets. One, address the group needs for a shared repository. And two, address file exchange needs. Look at these independent. And the reason for this is because for file exchanges, generally, it can be easier for the person who is sending the file to send it as they're best comfortable with. If they're using a platform that they're not comfortable with, it might take them a while to do so, and this can cause unnecessary delays with getting that file where it needs to go. SP and I have both seen this before in our podcast endeavors, where we've asked somebody to send us a file using a platform. It takes them days or even longer to send it, and we're sitting there chomping at the bit, waiting for that file. And eventually they come back and they go, sorry, I couldn't figure out XYZ service. Here's a link to ABC instead. Hopefully that's okay. And this could just have been because they just weren't that comfortable with it. Or there could be another reason that someone isn't using a service that you want, which might just be like they don't want to actually add another account to their huge list of accounts. Plus, if you think about it and you relate it a little bit to something like physical mail, if somebody is going to mail you something, generally, they're the ones that decide how they're going to deliver that to you. So it's kind of similar in that regard. Of course, one way that you can try to balance these two things, though, is to find common ground by suggesting multiple services that you're comfortable with. If you say to somebody, I could give you access to a shared folder on Dropbox, OneDrive, or Google Drive, would any of these work better for you? Now you're giving a, a variety of options and maybe they are comfortable with one of them and you're pushing them along, accelerating that timeline to get them to give you that file. This helps actively pursue that file while also looking for what area they're comfortable with. But group shared data, it's a little bit different, right, SP? It is. It's important to find a location that's mutually beneficial for the needs or the requirements. And a lot of times this means it'll come down to all parties involved, both contributing and compromising a bit. For example, on Google Drive, usually each person's individual contributions contributes to the individual's and this is actually how we operate on Better Podcasting. We have a shared folder for Better Podcasting on Google Drive. That's where all our show notes are. But each week, I actually send my file to Stephen on OneDrive. It's just easier for me to upload and delete the file that is through OneDrive. And it's pretty easy for Stephen to do it as well. As you decide on what platform you want for the shared files, you should consider what you will be doing with the shared files and how you're going to be using the files that are placed there. For example, are you simply doing file exchanges related to the podcast, or is it more collaboration, such as creating show notes, documents, schedules? If it's file exchanges, then installing a computer app like the ones available for Google Drive or OneDrive or Dropbox might be the best and make it a lot easier. This is because people can simply copy to the folder as best fits to them, whether through the app or the web interface. You can do both, actually. And with the right settings, the file will be automatically synced to your computer and then uploaded. And it's just going to be waiting for you when you look into the file on the other end. On the flip side, if you're doing more on collaboration, you might be looking to do more work online. 
such as Google Docs or Office 365, one of the various Trello, for instance, one of the various uh, shared work group uh, processes. This is especially important when you're working on shared documents. While there are programs like Microsoft Word, which technically allow users to collaborate both through web-based interfaces and desktop-based interfaces at the same time, it's often not the greatest experience and can lead to accidental problems with collaborations and version control. Which takes us to our next point. One thing that is often overlooked when it comes to shared data management is the potential for that data to become split. Now, what am I talking about here? For example, let's say that we have a shared folder for better podcasting. I upload the file to that folder. Then the other person, Steven, downloads that file to be worked on. He is now working on that file locally on his computer in Canada and probably next to a moose. I don't know. However, the shared folder has the previous version of it now. The file is now split. There is an online version of the file and there is a next version of the file for Steven as he's working on it. Now, I only have access to the file that was originally uploaded, but Steven both has access to that original file and the file that he is working on. That's why it's important when you're sharing data that you actually come to an agreement on data management best practices. In the example that I just gave, who would be the one responsible to delete a file that is now considered outdated? Should the person who downloaded the file be responsible for deleting the older version, or is it the person that uploaded it as responsible because it's their content? There's no right or wrong answer here, but establishing this protocol helps clear up this confusion and helps avoid splitting data. And I might add that this could change depending on the type of data that you're using. For example, I'm going to record my file, I'm going to upload it to OneDrive, and then Steven's going to take that down and he's going to use it in his editing process. I keep that file up as long as Steven is editing, and as soon as that show is published, I take it down because I know he's successfully used the file. However, if there is another file that we're using, like the show doc, that we're going to need all the way through and as reference years later, because we have referenced our show docs. As a matter of fact, just this year, we've been referencing our old show docs from back in 2016, 2015, that sort of thing. It's important to have those files available online and we keep those files online. But if somebody needs to delete them for whatever reason, then it should be uh, an agreement on who deletes the files. And I'm just going to go one step further here, Steven, since we don't talk about it's affected me personally, where we've had shared show docs, not we, Steven, you and I, but my co-host and I have had shared show docs. And then I've been referring to them as I've been correcting the show notes in the past. And then all of a sudden I go into the show notes one day and the whole directory is gone. I can't find it anywhere. That's because my co-host has deleted everything because they wanted to clean up their shared drive, their cloud storage, which is entirely feasible. But had that co-host contacted me, I would have said, hey, turn those documents over to me and I will use them for the future. So it is important to understand who has control of the data and who has control of deleting the data. Which brings us perfectly, actually, to the next point. In any group scenario, you would be best suited to back up the most critical files locally, if possible. While this does create some duplication, 
you want to make sure that somebody can't come in and do what SP just mentioned, which is delete the whole folder. They may not be doing it maliciously either. They might just not think through what the repercussions is of them deleting something on their shared drive. It really would be a shame if that situation that happened to SP happened to you. However, that's not saying you have to back up absolutely everything. No, if something is being hosted on a reliable, reputable cloud service that you do have personally full control of, and it's not critical to your podcast, do you really need to retain that locally? This concept of trusting the cloud is something that has changed hugely since we started Better Podcasting. Back in the time that we started Better Podcasting, many people would think it was crazy just to work in the cloud, but there are many systems and organizations that are shifting entirely to cloud-based formulas. Here's an example of that from a personal day-to-day -day perspective. If you look at things there, like Google Photos and iCloud, they are generally being shaped towards using them in an entirely cloud platform. And this is supported by looking at the evolution of cell phone storage. There was a certain time that the trajectory was continued to add more and more physical storage to a cell phone, add things like SD card support, basically try to get people as much storage on their phone as possible. And this was to accommodate people who do take lots of photos and lots of video, but things have changed a little bit. And now the model is being shifted more towards having people use it in cloud-based. And this is because internet connections are evolving. They're getting faster. They're getting more reliable around the world. So the whole concept of working in the cloud is being seen all over the place from your phone to just data collaboration and management. So you need to look at what is in the cloud, look at what you have access to, what is under your control, and decide, do you really need that kept locally? The show notes that we use for this show are entirely on Google Drive. As we mentioned earlier in our show, we do think that critical data should be kept locally and in the cloud. But since we are sh shifting to an era where working in the cloud is possible, you need to decide, are you going to trust the cloud? Now, all this is true that we've just spoken about with shared data, whether you work collaboratively or on your own, you can still work in the cloud. If you're working on your own, this could be advantageous if you travel, which I, I know pandemic, nobody's really been traveling around. Or maybe you're just working in different spots in your house, right? So you're going for your main production PC to out on the back patio, or you're going up to your bedroom or wherever just to, to work in different spots and use the cloud to do that. So it could be if you work with a team like we do here on Better Podcasting or my new solo show called Better Podcasting SP's Take. Perfect. I look forward to seeing that. That is going to go really well with my Better Podcasting SP's Take After Show that I'm going to be doing. <laughs> that is just going to be great. So it's going to be me ragging on you and then your take on my show. This is going to be great. Okay. Exactly. M moving on, though, we're going to move on from shared data and we're going to go into hosting data management tips. There's another part of data management that we haven't talked about, and it's the hosting part of the data. It's a little bit different than shared cloud data in that this is 
the data that people are going to actually download. It's your podcast, basically. Yes, even though most people treat hosting as an upload and forget to your hosting provider, it's important for you to put thought into the data management upfront. This is because without considering the data management, you might find yourself running out of space or worse, losing data. Now, we could get into a whole discussion here about choosing the right media host for your needs, but there's a few things that we just want to highlight in this whole data management conversation in this show. How often are you releasing an episode? How consistent is your episode length? What quality are you releasing your podcast with? That means the quality in terms of the file uh, management, the rendering, the specifics of the file, how many bits, how many, what's your sample rate, that sort of thing. These things will be very important as you look at media host offerings for storage. Ultimately, you want to make sure that you choose a host for your podcast that can accommodate what your regular release schedule will look like. But some media hosts have total bucket caps to your storage when some just have a cap for a periodic time, like a month. If you're found that you're regularly going up against that cap, like if it's a monthly cap, then it might be time to realize that your current selection isn't working for your data management needs. This could be as simple as switching plans for your media host provider, or maybe it's time to search for another media host provider. It depends on what your situation is. But the data management on your media host for your podcast goes beyond the caps. Have you considered what you're uploading to your media host and how they're storing your file? For example, if you're using the same file name structure for each episode, and if so, how are they hosting it as you upload it? Do they change the name? While you might not need to depend on this every day, having a standard naming structure can be beneficial down the road if you need to pull these files for another use. For example, maybe a statistics service comes along that creates a statistics based on the MP3 name. If it's a bunch of random info, you'll never be able to decipher which episode is which episode. Or perhaps, more practically speaking, let's say you transfer media hosts. This is something that people do all the time. I question why they do it, but people hop from media host to media host. So it is a thing that happens. If they don't have a renaming wizard, you may find that naming structure of the files doesn't play well with the new system that you're going to, especially if the host provider provides metrics based on the file name. Now, we're not saying your host has to retain the file name, which I tend to like, but we're not saying it has to. But it's something we think that you should think about if they do change the file name, what it could mean down the road. Steven, you've ran into this, so you are more akin to this than me. Yeah, for sure. You just want to be aware of this because it does limit the amount of future proofing that you can do with that file. And I know there have actually been services in the past that have done podcast um, statistics that did base it off of the MP3 file name. So it definitely is a consideration for sure. But also, if you're running a website, you have a whole other set of data management considerations. But we're not going to get into that too much on this topic today, just because a lot of our listeners aren't running their own website. But if you are running your own website, do make sure you think about the data management on that. And we just wanted to acknowledge that now because you can easily start to run out of web hosting space 
as you start to load up a bunch of different pictures for every single episode that you upload to your website. And finally, in this section here, let's talk a little about about long-term plans. How long do you want to keep your show available? If you want to keep your show available for years after you stop the show, for example, SP has his Voices of Defiance podcast available for download, even though it's been many years since there's been a new episode. You might want to explore a hosting service that allows you to reduce your monthly or annual hosting cost in these situations, if that is your goal. It might not be your goal. You might say, once I'm done, I'm done. I'm guilty of that. Many of my past podcasts are not available. Also, you do want a host that has sound financial stability and reliability, just so that, again, you are considering the data management for the future if they don't have that. While not a primary driver for your decision, this is often one that is overlooked, which is what happens with your data on your host after you close down shop. Now, we're going to transition into just miscellaneous tips about data management for your podcast. And let's begin with one that we think crosses over all of the areas, all the categories that we just went over. Decide if you want to be a data pack rat. I mentioned it before in the local data as a question, but we never answered the question. You know, for a second, let's pretend that there is a special edition of that, you know, the A&E hoarder show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that focuses around a digital hoarder. That actually would be a pretty cool <laughs> show. Be honest with yourself and ask if you'd be okay being on the show or you'd be a little embarrassed for somebody to go into your computer and fish around on your data. We're not talking about anything that's adult-oriented. <laughs> We're just talking about the organization structure. Okay, we know what you're saying. No, I don't want to be on the show. Why would I ever want to keep all the data ever to do on my podcast anyway? Well, we're here to say you might. Well, mostly, but we'll come back to that in a bit. Objectively, both of us here tend to think of ourselves as pack rats when it comes to data. We both retain original recording files. We both retain editing files. We both retain the compiled file, and we both back up this data to one or more locations. And when you think about it, I also double keep the original recordings because I have all my SD cards. I'm on SD card number 32 right now, and it's all of the data back to 2015 that I've recorded on my H6. And while this might sound crazy, the reality is that for us, we've decided that we want to be digital pack rats because we never know when we'll need to go back and pull some form of the original file from somewhere in the process. For example, do we want to reuse some old audio, but maybe change some EQ? We need to do the original recording for that. Maybe we want to change our intro and outro or make a promo. It'd be nice to have that original lossless quality of the recordings to be able to remaster from. Now, if you do plan to be a pack rat like us or digital pack rat, then you should still be reasonable. It's not, you're not going to keep everything. You may have noticed that we didn't say that we retain every iteration of our final render. I actually did that for a few podcasts and I figured out I didn't need to do that. Nope. If something is wrong on that final preview, that version gets deleted. And I think both of us do it that way. And then we just go on to the next one. We also didn't say that we keep every single version of sample artwork that we've done during the creative process, or I should say that Steven's done in the creative <laughs> process. 
Nope, those often get deleted as well. Basically, what we're saying is if you're going to be a pack rat like us, then you'll need to find where that bar of deletion is. And if you are keeping every single file to do with every single version of every single thing that you do in your podcast process, then yes, you might have a problem. And please, please let us know when we can see your episode on Hoarders. One concept that crosses multiple areas of data management, though, is the concept of retaining lower quality versions for archival reasons. SP briefly touched on this earlier. And no, we're not talking about your release podcast. You should leave that on the quality that we publish. We don't think you should go back when you're chomping at the bit for storage and re-render old files in lower quality. No, we're talking more about for that archiving, keeping a lesser quality file for completed projects. That's not what we do, but we do want to bring this idea to this episode. For example, let's say that you do a special video project. Instead of keeping all that raw video, you might just keep a high quality of the version of the final project and like a 1080 version of that project instead of a 4K in your archives. Now, the downside to this is if you ever do want to go back and get that top quality version, you can't. It's not there. But you could potentially get something that's good enough for future use. It really will depend on your situation. But I bring this up specifically because if you look at a lot of the popular video YouTube channels that are pumping out lots of content each week, generally, they're not keeping the full quality. They'll go and they'll uh, compress like the B-roll and they won't keep the full raw files. They'll they'll go and they'll um, keep just the edited. So you want to go and, and really find what's going to work best for you. And so we want to just mention that this is an option if you're looking to find that balance of keeping enough information for the future and, and not being a pack rat like us. Now, one area of data management that is often overlooked for everyone, especially podcasters, is email. While it is communication, the reality is that once you start podcasting, you're now going to have your email address out on the internet. And welcome to the world of excessive spam and unsolicited communication. Not that you don't get that already, but you will get that with podcasting. This is why it's important to consider how you plan to manage the data within your email. This is especially important if you have a shared inbox that you and your co-hosts will be using. If you don't have the ability to create a custom email address on your web hosting, you may consider creating a new email address on something like Gmail, specifically for use on your podcast. This helps with two things. One, it separates your podcast-related emails from your personal emails, but it also helps keep the storage allocations separate. We'd also encourage you to use mail rules in your mail client as you determine areas that might be a priority, set up automatic tagging, and try to keep your inbox clean from the start. If you've never had a public-facing email, you may not fully understand the level of unsolicited email you're going to get, especially when you factor the various services that you're going to give your email address to as you create your podcast. Guess what? A lot of them actually give that out to uh, different email list providers. If you don't keep your inbox clean, eventually you get to the point that it's just not practical to clean it up. Trust me on this, by the way, you do not want to see my email inbox. It is terrible because I did not take this advice. So what you're saying is we expect to see you on the email hoarders version, 
one hundred percent. I will. I will definitely be there. The last thing we want to mention in this specific category is that where possible, you try to overlap organizational methods. For example, try to use the same file folder structure between your local and cloud backup. And if you're calling data one thing on one service and you're calling the data another thing on another service, you might struggle to find a file when you actually need it. You won't always have the same folders in both, but if you have some of the same, try to name them the same and same with the files. And the same goes for template structure as well. If you go looking for an archive file, you won't be struggling to remember what you're searching for. Now, in better podcasting, you know, the, the same thing that we do every time, we're going to get into a little best practices here. And we're going to end this segment with when should you start to determine your plan for managing data and how you reassess it. So when exactly should you determine your data management plans? Well, first, let's just mention you should definitely consider your data management before you launch your show. But for this purpose of this section, we will assume that you've done that. How you might determine when it's time to reassess will really come down to your personal workflows that you choose. However, usually there are a few things that would indicate you might need to reassess your data management plan. First, Maybe it's that your current process flat out has stopped working for you. An example of this would be what we referred to earlier when we said that you might run out of space while you're in the middle of a recording. Or maybe you've gone to upload a file and you can't do that with your media host. Or you're going to send a file to your producer and you've also run out of space. This is an example of you flat out not having that work for you anymore. But another indication that it might be time to reassess is if you're finding that managing your data is becoming cumbersome. For example, if you are finding that in order to send a file to your co-host, you're having to use multiple services, that might be an indicator that your current data management system needs some reevaluation. That's just unnecessary time and difficulty each episode. Of course, sometimes data management reassessments are completely out of your control. What if a service that you rely on suddenly changes or just purely goes away? If a company that you use for your data management plan does become incompatible with your process, then you're going to be forced to reassess your management process needs. And the last reason we want to mention right now that you might need to reassess is if something changes with your podcast that makes the old one incomplete or obsolete. For example, let's say that you start off doing a solo podcast, but then you bring on a co-host. Now you have to consider that whole shared data management area that we talked about that you didn't have to consider before. This will likely need a whole data ma management reassessment. Now, closing up this segment, there's a lot to consider with data management for podcasting, and we hope we've spurned a thought or two for you today as you either start or you continue to ongo in your podcasting endeavors. So in summary here, we started off our discussion by asking why you will need a data management plan while podcasting. We discussed in-depth local podcast data management. We covered some tips and tricks for shared data management. We gave you some thoughts for your podcast hosting data and how to think about reasons why you'll need to manage that data. 
And we finished off by thinking about when it's time to reassess your overall podcast data management plan. If you have any thoughts about podcast data management, perhaps you are one of the data professionals that we spoke about earlier. We want to hear from you. Email us to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. Come over to our Discord at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. Tweet us at betterpod or leave a little file on SP's hard drive with your contact information. Let's go ahead and move on to the Better Podcasting Download. This is the Better Podcasting Download. So interestingly enough, we kind of covered this story last week in Better Podcasting live chat, but it was such a good discussion and we felt we needed to explore this for the Better Podcasting main show as well. What we're going to talk about here is the Podcast Academy's award ceremony or award show called the Ambies. Now, there was an article that was posted called the Ambies nomination list is embarrassing for the podcast medium. I also looked into the Ambies nomination list myself, and I spotted a story about it on Pod News. But here's the deal. I actually went into the nominations there. I counted 164 nominations for the Ambies list. None were hobbyists. Now, we're hobbyists here on Better Podcasting. We're not saying you can't make money while podcasting. We're not saying that we don't like corporate podcasting or industry podcasting or something like that. But we're here for the little guy. We are here to advise you as a hobby podcaster what's going on. And in this instance, there were simply no hobbyists that I could tell. Matter of fact, less than 5% were not mainstream companies or studios. So maybe 5% were smaller studios. There was like one or two that had multiple individuals that were named. But for the most part, you're talking about large corporations that are listed here and corporations that are in podcast industry. So some of the lists that are on here include NPR, PRX, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Libsyn, uh, Wondery. And that's like podcast industry and, and the podcasts that we're from here. But look, the list goes beyond that. It goes into the big media as well. We're talking like the Los Angeles Times. We're talking about Sony Pictures Television. We're talking about HBO, National Geographic, NBC. So you're talking about big corporation media. And we all knew that everybody was going to get into podcasting eventually. We just didn't know when it was going to be. When we started the show in 2015, we had the Better Podcasting download specifically to keep our eyes on the podcast industry for the hobbyist. But in this particular case, the Ambies are not hobbyist friendly, I guess would be the best term to use. I mean, they're not anti-hobby, but obviously all of their nomination, I mean, maybe you can infer that they are, but I'm not saying they are. Uh, they just simply don't have it. And the amount of podcasts that are out there, it's in the millions now, right? And not all corporations have a stranglehold over it. There's probably a lot of independent and hobby podcasts out there that are better than what you can get with the corporations. So why are there more hobbyists that are represented here? It, it just kind of bugs me. There should be. And it it's not it, they didn't go out of their way to try to 
get people in from the hobbyist perspective. I don't think they really market. I mean, nobody came to us and said, hey, look, guys, you should talk about the Ambies and, and, and try to compete with the big guys because you could conceivably. But here's the other thing. We talked about this on Better Podcasting Live. You could be just doing the podcast yourself or like us, just two people. And we are competing with people that might be doing a podcast on the same thing from a corporation with a staff of 15 to 25. There's no way that we're going to be able to compete and do the same quality of a show at the rate that they do that we can do and still work full-time jobs. We have full-time jobs. Most hobbyists have full-time jobs. There's no way that we can actually can go out and compete against it. So I have issues with it. And I've said some of the issues. Stephen, why don't you speak up here? Yeah, I think that this is definitely the first of many situations like this that we're going to see. I think that um, you're going to see the split continue to happen where you will have certain things that are geared towards being a um, a more large podcast back or a large backing to these podcasts. And I think if you look from a couple of years ago when iHeart started their podcast awards, they build themselves as what was it the first ever podcast awards, which was just factually untrue. I think it was them. And the thing is, that was because they were meaning it. I believe they were meaning that from the perspective of like a, a traditional award show type thing. And they had a vision in their mind that followed a, a long history of other mediums. So I think that we're going to continue to see this fork happen. And I think it's going to be a rude awakening if it hasn't already for people that once thought of themselves as the big fish in the world of podcasting. Well, guess what? They're not big fish anymore. And I'm not just talking podcasts. I'm talking companies as well. I think that they are now getting brought down to our level. I just say that in tongue in cheek, but but I do mean I do mean that though that they are getting knocked down. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's this this um, mindset that anybody could make it big in podcasting. That still is uh, out there, by the way. I, I would think more in audio dramas in uh, in entertaining podcasts than anything else right now. If you come in with a big name or if you come in with a big corporation, you're just going to be able to spend more than other people in terms of promotion. You're, you're going to be able to get more visibility, but there's nothing that says that you can't. And that's why a couple of weeks ago we ran the promotion versus creation episode here on Better Podcasting because we wanted everybody to know you should be spending some time on on promotion, especially if you want to compete with everything everybody else. So uh, yeah, the Ambies are a thing. There are other podcast awards throughout the year that are a thing. Just know that you're going to be competing against people that are working this as full-time jobs and will uh, pad the award a little bit, the submission, or maybe they're able to uh, promote a little bit more voting in case there's voting involved uh, with the general public or within the industry. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how this all pans out and uh, go from there. Now, there was another big thing that happened in the industry since we last recorded this podcast. And that was the whole thing about Apple podcasts are slated in the next iOS update to not use the word subscribe, that they will use the word follow. And everybody was like ecstatic about that. Oh, that's what Spotify uses or Pandora or whatever. This is great. They should get away from subscribe. Okay. I can kind of understand that. But one of the things that 
people were saying is that, well, subscribe generally means that you have to pay for it. And I'll admit, when I first started listening to podcasts, I was worried because it was through iTunes at the time that I was going to have to pay these microtransactions because even television episodes you could buy for like a buck 99 at the time. So I'm like, I don't want to listen to 20, 30 podcasts and be charged that amount of money. Well, here's the thing about the word subscribe. Most of the people that are on YouTube subscribe to a YouTube channel and they know that it doesn't cost anything. So I have a little bit of, uh, uh, an issue with people saying that people have issues with subscribe overall. I think in this day and age, especially with YouTube, and I will continue to use YouTube as the example here, you can subscribe to any channel and it's free. Now, if you want the exclusive content, you have to pay to be a member of the YouTube channel. That's not always the case. We definitely don't do this here on Better Podcasting or with Gunna Geek, but different channels do that. And it's usually extra content, but their main content is free for everybody else. They don't, I don't know of one YouTube channel. I'm sure there is, but I don't know of any that's exclusively behind a paywall. So for this mindset out there that just says the word subscribe is bad, I have an issue with that. And I think that I will continue to use the term subscribe for the podcast. I'll probably use subscribe or follow just because there's different uh, distributors out there that are using either, but I don't have a, a issue with using the term subscribe. I don't know, Stephen, do you? I, I agree with you. Um, I think this was a question for a couple of years ago. I'm curious why they're pulling the trigger on it now. I think there was a lot more credibility to that argument of paid a, a couple of years ago. But the thing is, over the last couple of years, podcasting has ballooned to the fact that there are just Joe and Jane averages coming into podcasting and subscribing to podcasts. They're now familiar with this term. So it's bizarre that Apple wants to do this. I think that it's it's very odd, especially when you look at that YouTube example that you gave. The only thing that I can think is that because there is this push with certain um, podcasts to have them as paid subscriptions, it's, I guess, a little different than YouTube, where maybe because it's such in its infancy, there's a prediction that we're going to see that ratio change. And so they want to differentiate that. But I, I really think that this is so established now that it's it's odd. And um, I, I agree, though, at the core, I think that people who are dying on the hill that subscription means paid. I think you're you're not correct on that. I think that you there's merits to what you're saying, but I don't think that that's a black and white thing as as you're making it think. There are hints out there that Apple podcasts are swaying towards paid subscriptions with podcasts out there. I mean, everybody has exclusive stuff like Spotify with Joe Rogan, for example. And there is hints that they might be doing that and they want that to be termed subscribed. But and then want all the free content to be follow. And then there is also removing that all the podcast content is free on Apple Podcasts. So maybe there's that additional reason for it. But again, I think using of subscribe. I'm I'm fine with it. Maybe other people aren't, but I'm fine with it. Anyway, so that's two things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. We I'm, sorry, to make I'm gonna sure. interrupt you here. I just thought of what it might also be as well. And I know I don't usually interrupt you, but um maybe it's to do with the shift of or, or a future shift 
of them seeing people doing on-demand episodes like Google Podcasts launched as because we subscribe, it, it really made sense because you were having a file pushed down to you. So you're you're subscribing to the service and then you're getting something in return. And maybe they want to go more towards follow because they envision a future where people see an episode comes up and they don't always listen to that episode. They just click on the episode and they do it on demand. So it's a it's a difference. They're not always getting that episode or some weird Apple thing like that. I don't know, just a random theory that popped in my mind. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure you just said that off the top of your head, but there had been talk in the past couple of weeks about uh, what is a download and, and would Apple podcasts in iOS 14.5 continue to automatically download uh, there was some uh, false information that was researched to begin with on that. To my knowledge, iOS 14.5 will still retain the automatic download feature, but there are podcast catcher apps out there that don't automatically download the episodes. So it's a hit or miss thing across the industry right now. But you're right. I mean, when you talk about statistics, you really want to know who's listening to your show. I mean, that was a whole other conversation yeah. that we had on our Discord server. So I would say that if anybody wants to talk about that, come to our Discord server and and we'd be glad to talk to you about the various things. And everybody in there apparently had a, an opinion too, which is great, made for a great discussion. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our better pod back where we got a fun poll. This is where we here at Better Podcasting turn the show over to you as we run through some of your feedback. We call this segment Better Podback. SP credit where credit's due. You posted this poll this week on Twitter and it was, quote, what was your first podcasting microphone? What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? Are you still using it? If you upgraded, what did you upgrade to and why? And as for the audio listener, SP has his first microphone with him, which I believe is a Behringer XM1800S. And that I is correct. also have my first podcasting microphone, which is a SingStar microphone. SingStar. So for the video watcher, you have a little red band underneath the microphone cage on that SingStar microphone. Is that tape that you put on it or is that how the microphone came? No, that's because you came with two microphones, one for one team, uh, one for another team in the game. It's a video game. So it, one was red, one was blue. <laughs> I see. I see. Yeah. So I, I asked this out there because I knew a lot of our listeners like to talk about microphones. Uh, just to answer the question myself. You know, the Behringer XM1800S, I'm obviously still not using it. Uh, I did like the fact that it was cheap and it gave really good quality uh, sound for the price. I will caveat that. Gave good quality sound for the price. Uh, what did I not like about it? It, you know, it was a little bit digitizing. Uh, the, I don't think it was as smooth as other microphones. And that is why I wanted to go for another microphone. The first one that I upgraded to was the Sennheiser E935. And that was a, a pretty cool microphone to upgrade to. A little bit uh, accentuating in the sibilance, which is not really great for me. But I, I do like this mic. And I like all of the higher end Sennheiser microphones like the MD46. So uh, that is why I upgraded and eventually I made it to the Selector Voice RE320 and I've been using it for a few years. I really enjoy it. So that's the answer for me. We also have answers from a lot of other people. Steven, you want to give your little spiel there? 
Yeah. Uh, well, I'll start with my SingStar microphones was that I liked it because I had it. <laughs> and that was about it. That's the only thing I really liked about it. It's not even a proper connection. I think it's a three and a half millimeter connection. But let's go on to what everybody had to say. We should, let's start with Josh Liston. Josh Liston said, uh, mine was a Heil PR40 and I liked absolutely nothing about it. Currently using RE20s and RE320s in the studio and MD46 for on-location recordings. Now, Diami Ploki, he responded to us, and, and this is actually what I was doing originally. So he says, mine was a gaming headset, followed up quickly by a Blue Yeti. Thankfully, I've not used either for years. So I didn't use a gaming headset, but I used a chat headset. It was a Microsoft, I forget, Life Chat or something like that. And that was not acceptable to start podcasting with. So when I started podcasting for real, I got the Behringer, I got a real microphone and did that. So Dammy, I feel you there. Also with the Blue Yeti, it had been promoted quite a bit, still is to this day. It is a condenser microphone and if you can use it properly, it, it sounds halfway decent. It's just for most hobbyists, it's not going to work out for you because you need a treated uh, audio environment to use it. There was also a couple other in uh, responses we got, right, Stephen? Yeah, we had Johan Heinrich say at 2035. Oh, sorry, that's the model number. AT2035, 2SM58, 2 Sennheiser 945E2 pod, my 2SM7B. Now there's no going back. Yeah, once you make it to the big podcast microphone, even though I did not like the SM7B, I know there's plenty of people that do. It's hard to go. Once you get in the $200 plus, micro, $200 plus microphone level, it's really difficult to go back. Now, Brock, which you can find on Twitter at Brock Cook OT, he says, AT2020 USB. It looks super cool, but I could hear a dog pass wind three blocks over. Definitely not still using it. Used a couple cents, the ATR2100 and SM58, but I now use the Aston Stealth and absolutely love it. It has the most accurate representation of my voice that I have heard. And that's what's really most important, I think, in terms of microphone is to find a microphone that you like your voice on. A lot of people don't like their voice on a microphone. Steven, I heard, and we'll talk about this later, I, I heard that uh, you have a spin on that for yourself. But a lot of people don't. I am fine with it, especially on the RE320 myself, and it just works for me. Uh, some people don't like the RE320 because of of how it sounds. I am fine trying to look for other microphones i just haven't done that recently but it, it was a fun ride getting to the point where i am now but that's going to take us to the end of the show before we go we've been all over the place lately so sp start us off by telling us where people can find you not on better podcasting because you've had a couple guest appearances I've had uh, quite a few. First of all, I was on Geopat's books with Steph Fuscio, and I talked about Leviathan Wakes, which is the first book in the Expanse series. You might know the Expanse from being on Amazon Prime. So we did that. We recorded the interview a year ago, and it finally released. I was so excited to finally hear it. It was fun. It was great. I also was on Oof Right in the Childhood. Jen over there, she does Disney movies, like the animated Disney movies. She's marching her way through it. And then she's looking at it with adult eyes versus children eyes. And I know there were some things in the 
uh, news recently about Disney Plus with some of the movies like Robin Hood and something like that. These are the issues which she uncovers. Now, we talked about The Rescuers, which was a 1977 animated film. It was very successful. It came out a month after Star Wars and still made a ton of money. And it had a, a couple of, of fun actors in it. It had Eva Gabor in it and had um, uh, a comedic actor in it, which you might find uh, familiar. So that was fun. Also, I've been teasing this for a while. Uh, Mercury Theater Podcast is the podcast of my audio drama that I got cast in. It's just a bit part, but it was really fun. Well, John over there at Mercury Theater Podcast also does creator interviews, and I was uh, interviewed on his show, and that episode is already available on his feed, and coming up on March 29th, the audio drama episode that I was in releases, so I'm really looking forward to that. But Stephen, you also had a guest appearance, which was really fun to listen to. I did, yeah. Uh, just because, you know, you mentioned Steph Buccio, I figured I had to as well. Uh, yes, no, I had the honor of being invited on to the Geopaths podcast, a podcast. So you can check that out at stephbuccio.com. And it was awesome because I got to talk about a whole bunch of things that I've talked about behind the scenes, some things a little bit in the show. Some of it, of course, was about my history, how I got to doing the Gunna Geek Network, how I got to better podcasting, all of these things about my history. But what I really loved was the Canadian spin. We talked about my personal take on the podcast industry in Canada and why I think that some things are really weird and misaligned with where podcasting is, is in Canada versus where it really should be when you look at where Canada is as a critical part of different tech uh, backbones and things like that. So and, and sort of how technological Canada is. So if you want to uh, check that out, that would be great. Uh, and thank you, Steph, for inviting me on. And more importantly, thanks for uh, making the end product sound coherent. I know that what I gave you in raw form was very incoherent. And if you want to know how Steven thinks of his voice while he's podcasting, you should check that episode out. Like I said, it was definitely a fun listen. And if you can't tell, both of us love to guest on shows. So if you're thinking about reaching out to guest hosts, reach out to us, podcast at betterpodcasting.com. We would love to come on your show and guest on your show. We love doing it. It's just fun. For us, it's really fun because we don't have to worry about editing or anything like that. <laughs> we just come on and podcast like old style. We used to do it. It's great. So for episode 247 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying to those of you that have invited me onto your podcast, I'm still thinking about you. I haven't forgotten. And I'm SP saying, I hope you have a great couple of weeks podcasting. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. See you guys. Bye. See ya. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week. Another consideration. Go ahead.
I didn't know if you needed a break. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty long. Go ahead. I, I was looking for a good segue. <laughs> uh, <what was> it? <clears throat> Another, I now I feel like a jerk. It's just like, I'll just, I gotta play them off. I'll just change to my screen. <laughs> Honestly, that was a long time. So please go ahead. And continues and continues and you can't find anything. I, I digress. I digress. What we're saying is that you don't have a data management plan ahead of time. You're going to run out of these instances and you're, you're going to have challenges sooner than if you had a plan up front. <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> okay. You felt my screaming come through your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Go ahead and say that again. What we're saying. What we're saying is that if you don't have a data Oh my gosh. What we're saying is that if you don't have a data, wow. What we're saying is that if you don't have a data, I'm so sorry. I accidentally switched. I pressed the wrong button. I switched the two for go one more time. I'm going to have a drink of coffee. Yeah, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. And it's actually coffee. There's nothing more in that. Uh, I'll do this. I'll talk. I'll talk from the side. See, now I'm a stand-up comic. This is how all stand-up comics talk: is they hold the end of the microphone and they, what's the deal with subscribing? You're not paying for it. 